0: Um, We are kicking off a brand new series this morning called Sex in a Broken World. And I I think it's probably obvious why it's important that we talk about it when we look around our world today. Um, In in fact, just this morning I opened up um, an app on my um, iPad and headlines came up of another teacher who had been abusing students and, and you see constantly um, these headlines between teachers and coaches, administrators, ministers, pastors. You, you see a world where um, gender and identity have become questioned, a world where pornography is rampant, a, a, a culture that is just saturated with sex. It's something that is almost impossible to escape. And and with that brings so many important questions. How do we as followers of Jesus navigate a culture that is saturated with sex? How do we navigate it? How do we keep ourselves pure what is it that we believe about sex? How do we treat people who see the world differently than we do? And I think these questions are so important and have such an incredibly important impact. Because not only will they affect the way we answer, will they affect our relationship with Jesus they will also affect our witness for Jesus. And this is one of those topics that for so long our churches have just kind of skated. We haven't really talked about and we haven't really addressed. And I can think growing up, I didn't hear sermons about sex. It was never talked about. In fact, we had a friend in Cleburne who was probably about 10 years older than, than I was, and she always said the message she got about sex from her church growing up is sex is dirty, rotten, and horrible. Save it for the person you love. <laughs> and, and while, of course, that's comical, in, in some ways that's about the extent of how we have talked about sex. And so this morning, I kind of want to lay some groundwork for the rest of this series because I I do believe that this series is so incredibly important right now in our day and time. And so we're going to talk about this in hopefully a way that um, is going to be encouraging, I'm hoping convicting, regardless of where you are in your journey but I hope also filled with compassion and grace, because all of that is necessary. And as we look at our culture, and you constantly see headline after headline, you see how rampant it has become on television and movies, how in your face it is and almost impossible to escape. You ask the question, well, how did we get to this point as a culture? And I think just fundamentally the thing that you need to understand is so important is that God created it. When we talk about sex, God created it. Sin distorted it. God gave sex as a beautiful gift. And sin has stepped in and distorted that gift. It has made it something that it's not. And so like I said, kind of laying the groundwork, I want to give you this morning three basically fundamental assumptions that that I am working with in this series. Because if you can grasp these fundamental assumptions, the rest of this series will make more sense. And, And so three fundamental assumptions. The very first one is this. God is for you. God is for you. God loves you. God created you. God has been pursuing you. And he wants you to have an amazing life. God is for you. In John ten ten, he says this, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it to the full. God is for you. Second is this, God is a good father. And and so many times I think we have this picture in our mind of God as this authoritarian father who is looking to make our life more difficult. But if we understand that God is for us, and that he is a good father, then things start to make a lot more sense. I know for myself as a dad, my greatest concern is my children. And because I love my children, we have boundaries and we have parameters that we have set in place for their protection. We, We don't tell our children, we don't want you to run out in the street. And play in the street because we don't want you to have more room to play. We tell them we don't want you to run out in the street and watch where you're going when you cross the street. Because we want to protect them. And we understand the implications if they step outside of those boundaries of what could happen. And so I think when God gives us some boundaries and parameters when we talk about sex, it is for our good. It is because he is a loving father. Because he wants us to experience the fullest life possible. And then the third is simply sex is good. It is a good gift given by a loving father. Father, who wants his children to experience the blessing of life. And one of the most amazing blessings in life is sex that God has given. But but you have to understand the purpose of sex has a context, God gives a context. For sex. And and says, here's what I need you to understand: that that this is supposed to be something to enjoy between a husband and a wife. And, And here's the problem. So many times, so many times we talk about sex, and especially when I was in youth ministry, it seemed like the question I got more and more and more than anything else is where is the line? what's okay? Can I do this? Can I do that? And here's the problem, and this is not just with sex, this is with any type of sin that we could talk about. That is a terrible question. Instead, the question we must be learning to ask is, what does it look like for me to pursue holiness? what does it look like for me to pursue righteousness, to follow Jesus with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Because that is such a better starting point than how far is too far, what's acceptable, where is the line? And and so instead of trying to draw lines and seeing how close we can get to the line, Rather, the pursuit is we pursue Jesus to see how close we can get to Him. And as we get closer to Him, the belief is that His Spirit starts to work in and through our life and transform the way that we see the world, the way that we see other people, the way that relationships happen in our life. So, um, all of you know about these over the last two years. Um, I've told you about this conspiracy theory where my wife called the eye doctor and set up an appointment for me when I didn't need glasses. And I came home needing glasses. And, And I can tell you 100%, these glasses have done absolutely nothing for me. I do see the tape measure better, and I do see words on the page a little bit better, but other than that, they have done nothing. And, and the problem is I want, I want to live kind of in this denial. The, the other day, I went to, to baseball practice with Caleb. I'm coaching his team, and of course, a 42 year old is 40, a 42 year old guy I'm running around the field acting like I am nine, 10 years old. And I'm trying to do things at 42 that I was doing at 22. And it doesn't quite feel the same. I, I notice things hurt and I tweak muscles a little bit easier. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I was trying to, to just play with the kids and running around and it was stretching for a ball and it's was like, oh my goodness. Like, just things... Are changing. And, And for me, there is kind of this denial with it. And it's so difficult to kind of step back and create this new perspective. This new perspective where I see things as they really are now. And again, that's why that question of where is the line is such a bad perspective. Instead, stepping back getting a new perspective and saying, what does it look like to pursue and follow Jesus? What does it look like for me to give my life fully and freely to Him? And so I'm going to talk just real briefly about the purpose of sex because I I think there is a really important threefold purpose in it. The the first is this. It is for procreation. It is where babies come from. It's sixth grade health all over again. It's for procreation. And what's interesting, if you really think about it, one of the most important purposes of sex that God gives almost seems to be a negative side effect in our society. God says one of the the primary purposes of sex is for procreation. And our society, our culture, sees that as a negative side effect. It's just something that could happen that you want to avoid. We see things like abortion. We see husbands or men getting women pregnant and walking away from the relationship, walking away from the responsibility. The second purpose is connection. That in sex, there is a deeply intimate connection. And it was meant, as we'll talk about in just a minute, it was meant for a specific purpose. That, That it would be something that would draw two people closer together in an intimate way that nothing else could. And then third is pleasure. That that it is for pleasure. And as I said, here's the purpose, these three purposes of sex, but sex purpose has a context. It it has some boundaries. It has some parameters that I believe God says, I'm going to put these in place Not because I want to keep you from enjoying life, but because I do want you to enjoy life and have a full life. And I would say the context is simply this, and I believe God says this, that it is one man, one woman, for life. Now now here's the thing. In a room this size, I have no doubt that that might not be what has happened in your life that divorce or sex outside of marriage could have happened. And I want you to know that God still loves you, that God still cares about you, that God is still pursuing you, and that God can still redeem and restore and renew all things. And that understanding is so incredibly important that even though God says, I want sex to happen within this context, there are times that that we don't do things the way that God says we should. And we experience the pain of it. So in Genesis, as God creates man, He creates woman, He looks at man and says, it's not good that you're alone and I'm gonna make a helper suitable. And he says this, the man said, this is now um, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. So here there are two people and the beauty of sex, the beauty of marriage, is not that they are still two people. That it is through this union and through this relationship that they actually become one. And it is that connection that God intended to last a lifetime, to be a blessing, to be something that you could experience in life and know that God is a good and loving Father. He goes on to say this, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. That the intimacy and the connection is so deep that you could be who you were, seen fully, be known fully, and have no shame And I would say, if there is any other sin in our world that brings shame, there is nothing greater than sexual shame. And I'm not saying that we cast shame on people, but I think it's the shame that we feel internally. The shame of what we've done and where we've been. The shame of being fully known. Fully exposed. Because in that relationship, from the very beginning, as God was with man in the garden, the hope was shalom. This peace with God and peace with others. And whether that peace with others meant in the context of a marriage relationship, or the context of friendships, that there would be peace, that there would be this there, there wouldn't be striving and the sense of brokenness. the sense of things are not the way they should be. the sense of pain. And so often we make it about us and our relationship with God. But from the very beginning, God intended this relationship to be about peace, not just with Him, but peace with His creation, with others. And Kyle and I were talking this week and he pointed out this, this passage and I just I thought, wow, how well this fits. Genesis chapter two, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, now think about this for a second. In the garden, as God creates man and is in relationship with man, Is man alone? No, he's not alone. He is with God. But God, I believe, sees something in the life of man and says there is a part of this relationship that I cannot fulfill, that I I can't meet. And it can only be met with another person in this physical relationship. Not, Not just husband and wife, but I think people. That you were intended to live in community And relationship. And I think that's what made the past year and a half, two years, so incredibly difficult for so many people. I think that's why we've seen a rise in depression and medication. We've seen a rise in addictions. It's because what happened through a pandemic and through making people keep apart is we were longing for that community and trying to find a way to fulfill it. Trying to find something that that would make us complete. And it wasn't just, hey, we need you to walk with God so that your life is full and whole. But it's that you need community and connection with others so that you can live within that shalom. Shalom. But from the very start of creation, Satan drives a wedge between those relationships. And, and honestly, that is what sin is. It is breaking down the relationship with, between man and God and breaking down the relationship between man and man. And, and we, we began with God is for you, and that he has come so that you would have this abundant life. But right before Jesus says those words, he says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief comes to distort truth. He comes to distort what God intended as a good gift. And says, hey, you need to use it for something other than its intended purpose to bring fulfillment to you. And, and as I said, the purpose of that was to kill, steal, and destroy, it was to break down those relationships, to break down shalom, to make sure things were not as they should be. And Paul talks about this in Romans 8. In Romans 8, starting in verse 18, he can say, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation. Listen to the words. In eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, the thief comes to still kill and destroy. The will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation, going, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. That, that Satan's goal is to drive a wedge into our relationships with God and with other people, to break down those relationships, to move it not towards life, but towards death, towards death and decay, to bondage decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, is in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present. Verse 23. There we go. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to the sonship, to the, sonship the redemption of our bodies. In other words, creation is in this state of disarray. Where creation is groaning, it is longing for things to be put back together, to be made whole, to be redeemed, and to be restored. And it's why you see those headlines. It's why you walk outside the doors of this place, and sometimes even within this place, we don't do it well. It's why you look up and you see and you think, this is not the way things are supposed to be. And it is that longing for restoration. It is that longing for oneness. It is that longing to step out of the brokenness of this world. See, and here's the thing. Our culture will tell you your deepest longing is to be satisfied sexually. But your deepest longing is Jesus. It is what your soul is thirsting for. And everything else we can put in its place will fail to satisfy us. And that pursuit of Jesus doesn't just mean that I am right with Him. It means I'm seeking to live at peace with everyone. And my purpose here is not pleasure. My purpose is to pursue Jesus. It is to place Him at the center of my life and pursue Him with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I know in a series like this, there are so many people in this room in so many different places. And the question, what does it look like to pursue Jesus? What does it look like to pursue holiness? With my circumstances. What does it look like for someone who is single to pursue Jesus, to to give their life fully to Him, and to live in relationship with other people with healthy boundaries? And and going into next week, we're going to talk about why that's so incredibly important, And, and not just for single people, but for all of us. What does it look like for someone who has been divorced and is now remarried? Or someone who is divorced and is still broken and hurting? It means that we're pursuing Jesus with all of our life and understanding that it's Him who's going to fulfill us. And it's Him who's going to, to meet that longing and that groaning that we have to be whole and to be complete but that if we'll live within, with healthy boundaries in relationships with other people, God is going to bless us. Because again, he doesn't put those parameters in place because he says, I just want you to have a miserable life. I want you to live in a life where you're tempted. I want you to live in a life where you suffer. But God, being a good father, says, I'm putting this in place because so often what happens as we take what God's intended purpose was for a good and beautiful gift and we use it for something it was not intended for and i can promise you this when we do that pain will follow and it might not be immediately But pain will follow. Because there will be consequences because a relationship will be broken down. What does it look like for someone who is engaged knowing that they're going to spend the rest of their life together but remaining pure until they say their vows? Or someone who is struggling with an addiction to pornography, who's caught up in the trap and doesn't know how to get out, or someone who is struggling with same-sex attraction. What does it look like to pursue Jesus? What does it look like to live in healthy relationships with others? I think in all of those scenarios it means we stop asking the question, where is the line? How far is too far? How close can I get? Because God did not put those boundaries there to see how close you could get. And He's not sitting there watching to say, there's the line you stepped over. He's sitting there as a parent does. And any parent who's watched their kid as they left home and struggled would know that you sit there and you watch and you say, My child, I want the best for you. I want you to experience an abundant and beautiful life. And I didn't place the boundaries and the parameters there to keep you from experiencing a beautiful life. But I placed them there so that you would, so that you could live in shalom, peace with God, and peace with others. See, and here's the beauty of what Jesus does in coming to bring life. Because the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and you may have it to the fullest. Is that you can start over today. Right now. And for the person who's caught in an addiction. And feels like there's no hope of getting out you can start over today. And, and for the couple who is struggling in their marriage because of their past, you can start over today. It can begin again. I came across an amazing article the other, the other day. A couple of weeks ago, Wall Street Journal wrote an article. And it said... It, it, here's what we found in all of our research and statistics, talking about people getting married. And they said, well, how young is too young? Research shows don't get married when you're in your 20s because it's going to end in divorce. But then here's what their research said. The couples who did not live together prior to getting married had a dramatically lower divorce rate. Now, now here's, here's why I say, to me, that's amazing. Because culture almost seems to be catching up to what God intended in the very beginning of time. And saying, if you will do your relationships within this context you will have a better marriage. A more lasting and fulfilling marriage. And it's almost as if culture is catching up. And you can say, well, it's 2022, times have changed, that's just old school. But let me me ask you to do one other thing real, real quick this morning. In the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament... God gives 613 commands. And of those 613, 10 of them we call the Ten Commandments. One of those is do not commit adultery. In other words, do not have sex with someone who is not your spouse. Now, why don't you just do, do me a favor and imagine for just a second every single person on the face of this earth obeyed only that one command how different our world would be how much pain would be eliminated how many children would not be in broken families? How many people wouldn't be living with shame and remorse from their past? How many people wouldn't be caught up in that cycle of addiction? How many fewer abortions would we have? Would there still be divorce? Would, there still, would all that? Yes, it's, it's a broken world, and that does not fix it. But my guess is the world would look much different than it does now. What we are longing for, what we are pursuing, is Jesus. What we're hoping for is the restoration, the renewal of all things. And there is nothing you can do in this world that will fulfill those longings. No matter what we try to do. See, God's desire is that we would live in shalom, peace with God, and peace with others. And right now we're fixing to take communion, which is simply practicing, remembering that because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross we are able to live at peace with God and peace with each other. That we are able to be set free from our past and live a life without shame. So let us come to the table.